welcome to this very special episode of the Tanae Talks podcast. Tanae Talks podcast is the podcast that educates and entertains, the podcast where you come to laugh and learn. And today we have a very uh, uh, special guest talking about end of life care. What y'all gonna do with the body? Black folks or anybody who is dealing with end of life care. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by 810 Taco Seasoning. 810 Tacos is a premium premium seasoning pack made with nine high, high quality fresh spices. It is packed with flavor and low on sodium. The 810 Tacos tradition is to celebrate life with good food, friends, and family to make new memories and share love one taco at a time. So thank you to our season sponsor, 810 Tacos. And be sure to go to 810tacos.com so that you can get your fresh seasoning pack and light up your taco Tuesday night. <laughs> um, so again, without further ado, I'd like to introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Dr. Gloria Thomas Anderson. And again, we'll be talking about what y'all gonna do with the body, black folks and in the life care. All of us have experienced death at some point. Um, if you follow Tanae Talks and you've been a listener for a talker for a long, long time, then you know that I did lose my mother and I did an episode entitled The Day That My Mom Died. And it was a very uh, traumatic experience. And luckily for us, we had some things that happen to fall in place where we were able to take care of the body in good timing <laughs> and in a good manner. Uh, so without further ado, welcome to the show, Dr. Gloria Thomas Anderson. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and look forward to our conversation today about this very important topic. I'm so glad that you are here because um, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode, not only did um, I have experienced a major death in the family with, with the loss of my mother, uh, but my father is deceased, all of my grandparents and things of that nature. And recently, just last, well, two weeks ago, I lost another aunt. And, you know, this is a very sensitive topic. This time of the year happens to be uh, a lot of times when people are dying and, uh, and the holidays are coming around. So you get a lot of sad, which is seasonal affective disorder with people dealing with, you know, missing loved ones. And this time comes with a lot of depression. So we want to be able to give people the tools that they need uh, to handle themselves in, in the event of death in their family and not necessarily have to run to like the GoFundMes, right? Oh, and yeah, things absolutely. of that nature. So doctor, I'm sorry. I wanted, to, I wanted to acknowledge uh, your losses. I think it's very important to acknowledge that that's very painful uh, to go through that loss. And I know you mentioned the loss of your mother and then your father deceased and then your grandparents um, and, and now an aunt. And so you're right. At this time of the year, a lot of times people are starting to feel those losses. I lost my mom in 2018 and I lost my brother in 2016 and I just lost my sister in 2022. And so I know what the pain feels like to have loss with uh, your immediate family in that way. So my heart goes out to you and, and, and to others who are listening to this podcast who are also grieving and going through that loss uh, process. 
Thank you so much. And my condolences to you and your family and those significant losses as well. Uh, so Dr. Gloria Thomas Anderson, uh, please tell us a little bit more about your background and why you got into the field uh, that you're in. Sure. Well, first of all, I didn't plan to be in a field that dealt dealt with death and dying. I don't think anybody plans to to deal with that. It's not a topic that any of us really want to talk about, but we all have to at some point. Uh, I got into this when I was in my master's program. I'm a non-traditional student, so I went back to school after my girls finished college. So a uh, long, long story there, but decided that I wanted to do uh, get a degree in social work. So I got my master's in social work. And part of my research agenda was looking at racial disparities in healthcare. Mm -hmm. I worked at the VA and uh, worked with veterans who were on dialysis, many of them men of color, black men who shared their stories of me, of the disparaging treatment they were receiving, where their white counterparts were coming in getting kidney transplants and they were not. It really piqued my interest uh, hearing their stories. I started doing research around that, found that not only was their stories accurate in their, in their own voice, but it also applied to many other people, especially people of color in healthcare of not receiving the care that they deserve or that they desire because of the skin color. And uh, then I had a personal experience with that my own self right after I um, started, uh, I wrote a book called The African-American Spiritual and Ethical Guide to End of Life Care, which y'all gonna do with me, which was a, a lift off of all of those stories of those uh, veterans who share their stories of, of people in community who talked about what they needed to know. How do we protect ourselves? How do we advocate for the people we love? How do we talk to these doctors when they don't understand our culture or perhaps don't really speak the same language that we do? And so that booklet was the result of me, uh, their experiences, putting it into an easy to understand and read uh, an educational format. So people could have that booklet to refer to what terms were meant. What is hospice, for example? What is palliative care? How do I get access to these resources? What do they, so all of those things, what do I need to know if I can't speak for myself? And so that book uh, was written after the first issue was in 2006, and now it's in its ninth edition, actually, and it's on the CDC recommended list of resources for advanced care planning. So <laughs> I'm really excited that God has blessed that work to minister to thousands of people across this country, especially families of color who are looking at end-of-life situations, who are wanting to understand how they can better protect and advocate for their loved ones in serious illness situations. But I also had a near-death experience due to being misdiagnosed based on my skin color in 2007. And I, in seven, and I almost died because of some of that racial um, assumption that yeah. what was wrong with me was something hereditary that's due to Black people mm -hmm. and not looking deeper to see what could be causing uh, the illness that I had that was sudden. And so that even, in, I don't know, it just inspired me more because 
I was at death's door myself and I was actively dying and I had been healthy and vibrant. I didn't smoke, drink. I walked. I did ate right. All of those things that we do to preserve our health. But yet I found myself at death's door because someone in authority who had the professional expertise misdiagnosed me based on my skin color. So uh, it's really just fueled my passion to get the word out to other people in our community to really look at what your wishes would be if you can't speak for yourself mm -hmm. and to make those wishes known to the people that love you. Because in, in those times when you made and hopefully and prayerfully that that won't happen right, right. we don't want to see that happen but we need to prepare for life after now as i call it we yes. need to plan we need to prepare for life after now because life after now is a certainty for every one of us yes they, they say that there's there are uh two things that you have to do pay your taxes and die there's no get, getting around that. Um, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but as you were speaking, you were talking about veterans and uh, dialysis. I got a little choked up a little bit in my chest because of my, fa my favorite uncle, my uncle Jerome, uh, he was a, a veteran. He did go to the VA and then he did die through uh, diabetic complications and being on dialysis. So just hearing that is just like, you know, wow, just the things that people go through in general. But but you just add the extra layer of being a veteran, having to be in war, being combat, you know, you're fighting for your country and then you come home expecting, you know, top tier care for what you've done. And, and then you don't necessarily, you may not, you may not get it. Um, but also uh, congratulations to you for having that booklet um, on the CDC recommended list be and we're going to make sure we have that information on how to purchase the book in the show notes um so that be sure to look into the show notes so that you can click on that and purchase that book uh but one of the things that you stated about you almost dying uh mm -hmm. that triggered me it made me think of serena so sometimes you know we think sometimes that maybe it's a class thing maybe we don't have enough money to get the Again, the top tier care. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes, it, uh, but more times than not, is our our race. And when Serena uh, was having her daughter and she was feeling uh, chest pains, yes. you know, she was telling her healthcare workers about it, and then they just ignored her. And mm -hmm. then, you know, she was adamant about something's wrong with me, and then they found those blood clots on her. Mm -hmm. Again, um, it is very important to your point about knowing what to say how to advocate for yourself because they look at us for some reason, you know, we're very targeted, especially in this country for our skin color for a plethora of reasons. And for them to not look at you as an individual person, mm -hmm. but assign you, your, your, you know, your ailments to an entire race. Mm -hmm. We're all individualized. We all have yes. our own DNA. We, and like you said, you did all the right things. Mm -hmm. and, and I also had an experience with that. I experienced chronic pain mm -hmm. and it's, it's noted, it's documented. I've had CAT scans, MRIs, the whole mm -hmm. nine. Mm -hmm. And most recently I went to the doctor to get re-prescribed some pain medicine that mm -hmm. is historically on my chart. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, mm -hmm. and, and before they even re-prescribed me the medicine, 
the doctor asked me to go pee in a cup. And I thought that was odd because we had already established that I wasn't pregnant. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had me go uh, urinate in the cup and they were like, oh yeah, we're giving you a drug test. They were trying to imply that I was a drug seeker mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to get this medicine. And it's like, yes, I'm in pain. <laughs> I know. I know. And to speak to that point, uh, one of the things that I've found too, just by being in this work and doing a lot of research around this, that medical students, one of the one of the article just recently last year that came out around med students who believe 40% of them believe that African Americans or black people don't feel pain. And that, yeah, and that's a high number for new doctors to have that mentality because, believe it or not, that that is out there in the literature, too, and documented very well the voices of many people of color, particularly Black people, regardless of their socioeconomic status, that they are uh, disparate, receive disparaging treatment because of the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. and And they do... Uh, And to your point about them testing you after you've been, this is something (laughs) documented in your chart that it's shown that this is what helps alleviate your pain. And then them to do that testing, that is just right on spot with what (laughs) is out there happening all across this country to Black people who are needing uh, care and who are having real pain. Even, I, I was it Thomas Jefferson who did a whole his whole address around black people and 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 setting up that whole uh, mindset in this country mm-hmm. that it's okay to think and believe that black people are less than white people that white that they are meant to be subservient that they are meant to work hard and and that they can and enjoy that that they do not feel pain it's is is crazy crazy that so many people have not read and learned for themselves mm-hmm. the truth but they believe these lies and myths that are passed down that actually cause the death of many people who are innocent well you know well de- deserving citizens yeah. of this country who are just penalized and often um wind up in death and dying situations all because of somebody's mindset that they are not worthy or that they are less than uh, yeah. the status quo yeah dr Anderson, i can tell you're so passionate about this <laughs> <laughs> I love that as you should be because it's it, it's it's very serious it when is. death is is involved when it's a matter of your life or your death it is very serious and I'm so glad it's someone like you on the front lines advocating for us. You mentioned earlier that sometimes that we don't know some of the terms and um, can you define the palliative care and can you also define what hospice means for those who may not know? Yes, I can. Uh, First, I want to say what advanced care planning is, because that is one of the things that help to lead to whether or not you decide on getting getting hospice care or getting palliative care. Um, First, advanced care planning is simply completing these documents that are legal documents that specify what your wishes would be if you cannot speak for yourself in a medical emergency or serious illness situation. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the forms are by state. They're all different. Unfortunately, they're not uniform 
by state, but each state has their own uh, legal form. Um, in some states, you have to have that notarized. But the easiest way to get those forms or to look at that or discuss it with your family is when you go to your doctor or go to a hospital that they usually have to, by law, ask you if you have an advanced directive on file. Mm -hmm. It's required by law. Patient Self-Determination Act of 1991 uh, decreed that. So they have to ask. They don't have to explain it to you, though. And that's what happens a lot of times. They'll ask that question and people don't really know what are you what are you asking me that for and not getting an explanation. They'll say no and not inquire. So I encourage you to get that form and look at it and talk about it, pray about it. But talk with your loved ones about what your wishes would be if you're not able to speak for yourself. Now, when you think about hospice and palliative care, a couple of things happen here. People know what the word hospice is. They hear it all the time. And the myth is that that's a place where people go, go to, to die. die. Literally, right. <laughs> that's what I thought it was. You go in this place and it's like, you know, Uncle Cedric says he has to go to hospice. Mm -hmm. oh, where I'm from, our funeral home is Paul Moon. So it's like Paul uh -huh. Moon, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. time to get prepared, you know, for, mm -hmm. for that end of life. So yes, yeah, right. I'm eager to know what it really entails. Yes. Well, it, it's not, it's not that actually hospice is a service. Okay. It is a service that's provided that for free, there's no cost. When a person has been diagnosed with a terminal illness of, of, of a life expectancy of less than six months or less, they can be referred to hospice. Sometimes that referral is not automatic. Uh, so people wait until the last minute. And that's why we see um, so many people die within a week or three days or two days once they've uh, asked for hospice services or palliative care. Both of them are similar, except that palliative care is more for comfort care and you don't continue any medications and that kind of thing. With hospice, you do still uh, get the the medications and um maybe the treatment plans that, that are in place for you. So one, for example, my sister who recently passed away, um, she was in the hospital and she decided that she wanted uh, hospice palliative care and uh, she chose not to continue the treatment plan for that they were giving her. And so she got palliative care, which is, Really, uh, both of these services offer you a, a interdisciplinary uh, team of people. There's usually someone to deal with your spiritual needs, your physical, your emotional needs. It's for the family as well. So it's not just for the patient. They're there to give support to the family. There's a nurse. There's a doctor. So there's really this more um, uh, personalized care that that's uh, that's really person-centered care that comes when you get the services of hospice or palliative care for even uh, chronic long-term illnesses. So someone who has say heart disease or cancer and they don't have a prognosis for six months, they can still be referred to hospice care mm -hmm. uh, and palliative care 
And a lot of people don't know that. So, but these are, you know, depending on the hospice and the services themselves, meaning the providers, you have to talk with them individually or have your doctor. And if you're in a hospital setting, the social worker is the best person I've found because I am a social worker too. I'm a licensed social worker as well. And our, our, our whole philosophy is around person-centered care, the well-being of all people. So that philosophy is a little different than a nurse's philosophy or a doctor's, a medical philosophy. We are very, and and I don't say, I say collectively, but you you know, there's people in every profession that don't do their (laughs) job well. (laughs) So I'm not speaking for everybody, but I'm saying that as a whole, the social worker is a great person to contact um, to ask for how do you start these processes and what do you need uh, and 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 I because we, we we need the the help sometimes to to know because there's so many different it's so much out there and it's so many voices and so many uh, I don't know stuff. that you have to kind of tread through you know you have to always tread through and sometimes you you get lost in that you know so having the the information that you need that's I, I believe culturally responsive information and that's what I try to provide to the black community as a black woman myself as a person who's dealt with this in my own life and in and, and the lives of so many other people that the, to prepare yourself for life after now by first of all doing an advanced directive and talking with your family members those that you love because the unfortunate reality is not everybody loves you that's in your life not all the time and so some people unfortunately do they don't they don't mind you dying because the first thing they want to know is what you left them or or, am i in your will and all of that craziness that Mm -hmm. is just selfishness in my opinion but but people who really love you and who care about you they're going to grieve your loss they're going to feel that pain of your loss. They're not going to be talking about, can they get the car? Or can Who's going to get the house? They're going to be missing you. Yeah. And so those are the people that you're thinking about when you say, I'm preparing my business. I'm getting my house in order, if you will, so that they don't have to grieve as hard and fight against those who might have more, um, you know, clout and energy and all of the other stuff coming at them mm-hmm. when they just, they, they're already in, they're hurting, they're in pain. Yeah. So it's, it's, to, it's a way to show your love for those that love you. Indeed. You, um, thank you so much for explaining the difference between that and, and my most recent experience, uh, at the doctor again, as I mentioned, I have chronic pain. So, uh, most recently I had to go get an MRI last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, the lady asked me at the beginning, you know, when you're signing in, she said, do you have an, a DNR in place? Mm-hmm. And I said, no. And for those who don't know what a DNR uh, directive is, that's a do not resuscitate. So in the event that me getting a routine MRI or something happened to me, she wanted to know that I have a DNR in place. Right. Is that what you mean when you say we don't necessarily know what they're asking us in that moment? Would that have been the time for me to ask for that advanced care directive paperwork? 
Would that have yes. been time to ask for that? Yes, the okay. advanced uh, care directive documents are, they will include that. What would you want if you can't, you know, do you want DNR? Do you want a DNI? You know, do not intubate. Do you want, you know, tubes, uh, breathing tubes? Uh, what do you want? And so what that does is that you specify what your wishes are on that form and you make sure that your advocate or that healthcare proxy that you've assigned to speak for you or come in and step in if you can't speak for yourself that they honor that and you can you can ask for everything you can say I want I, I don't want any of those things if that's what you want but it's good to have it documented somewhere mm -hmm. because it gives a legal um a, a, a document for those who are going to advocate for you to say this is what they want and you know even with my sister for example and my mom um she was in hospice uh, during the last month of her life and uh fortunately back in 2006 when i first wrote that book which y'all gonna do with me my mom's picture is on that book and i brought it to dallas to let her see the book and mm -hmm. she looked at it and she said she read and she said, well, what y'all going to do with me? And I said, well, what do you want us to do with you? So we had that conversation way back then about what her wishes were. And she said, well, I don't want to be hooked up to those machines. Mm -hmm. I don't want them poking on me and all of this. And so we did an advanced directive. And then she made her her wishes known. And, and we did her funeral plan and all of those things that she wanted and my dad as well. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward, that was 2007, 2006, rather, 2018, when she was having some uh, issues that were life-threatening, mm -hmm. uh, we went back to that and I said, well, mom, you know, what do you want now? I mean, times change, right? Your mindsets change. So she said, I, I want the same thing. So we updated her advanced directive. We did it there and we, we added the things that she wanted. And sure enough, within that month, when she wasn't able to speak for herself anymore, we had that to follow. Yeah. And then when doc, when these people were coming in, wanting to poke her and take blood and she was not conscious, I was like, what are y'all doing? Yeah. <laughs> And they were like, well, we're, I said, no, she didn't want any of that. Don't, don't do any of that because yeah. I had the authority to speak for her because I know that that, that was painful for her. She, even though she couldn't speak, mm -hmm. I could see flinching in her face. And I'm like, they don't need to do that. She says she don't want any of that. Mm -hmm. But had I, had we not known that we wouldn't have known. And then there's infighting that happens because people don't agree. Well, I think mama needs this. Well, I don't think she does. And so then there you go. And then we don't know. So it, it, it causes guilt and it causes craziness, chaos and confusion and everything that's opposite yeah. of loving and, and support when you most need it. Mm -hmm. So that that is why that document is so important. Or, you know, even letting somebody know what you want that they can show for that in the time uh, that is okay. necessary, if it becomes necessary. Um, moving right along, um, how should family members approach other family members about end-of-life care since it is such a difficult conversation to have? Yeah, I've had that question a lot of times. And again, uh, one of the reasons why I did the book mm -hmm. is that it has 21 things you can talk about around into life, you know, so it, it gives a conversation opener 
to start with something in that book. I start at the very beginning. I share another story of a relative who did not want to talk about her healthcare needs and had to go to the hospital in a medical emergency situation. And um, again, didn't understand what an advanced directive was. And when the nurse asked her if she had one on file, she she went off and because um, she, she was afraid her fear she knew about Tuskegee you know we know a lot about the, the uh, when uh, the the syphilis study that yeah. was done illegally a lot of us know that in our community and uh, she had avoided going to the doctor for many years but there she was found herself in that hospital emergency room them asking her that and since she didn't know what an advanced directive was she thought that they were trying to put her in a nursing home. Yeah. She said, that's what she said, what y'all trying to do with me? Y'all trying to put me in a nurse? I'm not going in a nursing home. Yeah. But in her mind, she didn't know what that was. The nurse didn't explain what it was. Yeah. She was only following the law, right? Yeah, Do you have one on file? Yeah. And so her mind took her in the places where she most feared. Yes, and uh, and so, it, you know, I was there. Thank goodness I was there and I was able to, kind of calm her and yeah, let her know what the, what it was exactly but what if I hadn't been there yeah you know and she would what would have happened I know that the woman was afraid of her because she thought she was getting too loud and she mm -hmm. called want to call security on her that wasn't the response that you needed this was an older woman who had avoided going to the doctors for years and understood the history around black women and black men who have been experimented on in medicine mm -hmm. legally, you see. So yeah. she had that knowledge. You can't separate who you are and what you know from what is, right? And so that's why these these factors are so important. It's it's layers of things that we we have to be mindful of that people have their own history, they have their mm -hmm. own experiences. Mm -hmm. And we need to be respectful of that. And so learning what those needs are in advance can just help that person's care be with dignity and honor them as an individual, as a, a person that God created. Yes. You see what I mean? Indeed. Um, thank you for that. You mentioned that when your mom, years later, she wanted to update some things because you said mindsets and things of that nature uh, change. So to the listeners, to be clear, when you do create an advanced care directive, at any point you can make uh, modifications to that. Is that correct? Absolutely. It's a, it's a living document. So you can change it next week. You can change it as often as you want. You can put things in there that are, that are important for you. But remember, it doesn't go into effect ever until you are not able to speak for yourself. Gotcha. Okay. And um, what are some misconceptions about end-of-life care that you would like to dispel today? Well, the, the main one is that, um, you know, we always say we want to go to heaven, right? <laughs> <laughs> as, as the saying goes, everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to die. So that's that's one. We all going to leave here whether we want to or not. It's inevitable that we will. And that's okay. This is not our home. Our final destination is is not this this life. But nonetheless, you know, one of the major myths that uh, I'd like to dispel is that one around hospice itself. 
And that is a uh, hospice is a service. It's not a place. You can receive uh, hospice at home. You can receive it in a nursing home. You can receive it in a hospital. You can receive it anywhere that you you are. So it is a service. It's not a place. Mm -hmm. And um, I and I guess whatever you know, I would be willing to uh, uh, respond to uh, your questions about things too. Uh, but that's that's the primary myth that I'd like to dispel is that it is a service, that it is free, and that it is available when uh, a doctor has given a prognosis of of six months or less of life to live. But many people who go into hospice early, uh, wind up living longer. And I believe that is because the care that is given is more caring. It's not in an emergency, uh, it's not in an ICU, where a lot of times um, that environment and a lot of people die in, in those environments hooked up to all of these machines where the family doesn't get the closure and the, the person's in pain up until the last moment. And that's that's hard to see too. I know my brother who died in 2016, um, died um, due to medical error. They gave him the wrong medication. He was only 56 years old. Mm -hmm. And I talked to him the day before I lived in another city and he called and he said, these people don't know what they're doing. And, and I know my brother and I know that he's very conscientious about all of that medicine and everything because he had been ill for some time mm -hmm. and he wanted me to come and advocate for him, which I had done about six or eight months before. Uh, <clears throat> but at the time I, I, I wasn't able to come the next day and, 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 you know, I, and I learned the next day that he had died because they gave him the wrong medication that night. And so, you know, advocacy, that's one of the reasons why it's so important when your loved one goes to a doctor or it's okay for a doctor's appointment, but if they don't necessarily understand what's being said, is somebody going with them, asking questions, you know, um, showing accountability. Okay, well, I'm with this. This is my mother, my sister, my brother. I want to know what's going on. They have given me permission to be here to hear so that I can ask questions, I can advocate and help them with the process of care uh, because of all of the things that we just discussed that happens uh, due to no fault of our own, but because of who we are in this country and how many people look at us uh, erroneously. Yes, indeed. Well, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Gloria Thomas Anderson, for being a guest on today's show. Uh, the insight that you provided today was very valuable. I know that they're going to learn a lot. Uh, it is important, listeners out there, to, like she said, go and be the advocate for your loved one, uh, whether it's your child, your mom, your dad, your uncle, your sister, your brother. Be that second pair of eyes, be that second pair of ears for them. Um, and make sure you get Dr. Anderson's book so that you can have some of the tools and resources that you need so that when you're going into these spaces that you are well equipped. Uh, lastly, Dr. Anderson, what are your final thoughts that you would like the listeners to know out there? A final word of encouragement for them. Wow. I, I love Ecclesiastes 3, you know, that says everything there is a season 
And so I believe this is a season of learning. I believe this is a season of laughter that we can, that we can, we've been through a lot as a people, but you know what? God is still good to us. And, and if we are living right this moment and we have breath in our bodies, then we can rejoice and we can be grateful and we can live this life with all the love and light that God has given to us individually, that we can share that light with other people who may not, uh, who may be going through grief, who may be going through a difficult time. You know, I, I believe very strongly that your smile uh, can can break a, a lot of chains. Mm -hmm. uh, so give give somebody a smile today from your heart, a heart smile, and watch God do something great for them and for you.